Uh, that brings us into what I want to do with, with this, this lesson. And in particular, uh, we've been talking about as the theme that's been up there, the King's Cross. Uh, because that is really, I think, the, the big view, big picture of what the book of Mark uh, is about. Is here is the King of Glory who has arrived with his kingdom and yet he's going to a cross. And what a conflicting statement it is to speak of a king with a cross. And that's what the Gospel of Mark is about. However, in this section from the end of Mark 7 through chapter 10, uh, the, the focus of Mark shifts a little bit into seeing the glory of Jesus. Jesus. As we begin to approach what will be the, the final year and final uh, months of Jesus' life, this middle section of Mark really wants us to get a good hold and vision of who Jesus is and to behold the glory of who He is so that then you will have this, this ama- just amazing appreciation of what Jesus then does at the end as, as Mark records it. Uh, and that's why that was all neat too is Facebook. Now that we can do some neat things as well. Um, So what I want us to do is, if you're there already, Mark 7 is where we're at, as was just, just read for us. What you see is something pretty fascinating. Now remember in the last paragraph, Jesus has talked about what is clean and unclean in a way that has been somewhat mind-blowing to that audience where Jesus has said it's not the things that you eat that defile you but really it's out of the heart you're defiled and in saying that he made all things then clean in regards to food and putting an end to that now what you'll notice here in, in Mark 7:24 to the end of the chapter is now really an illustration of that truth notice where Jesus goes in verse 24 as it says that he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon why is that not going hmm. uh, it'll probably go in a minute he goes to Tyre and, and Sidon. Now, think about leaving the auspices of Galilee. We've seen Jesus spend most of his time in Galilee. He's teaching the people there and, and working with them. And he's gone even across the sea back and forth. There it goes. See, I knew it would come. Uh, <laughs> just one of those days that just come along. And now what you're seeing is Jesus moving to a different location. Notice going to Tyre is to leave the area of Israel altogether. He's going out to the northwest, way far away from Israel. He, he's going out to Tyre and Sidon. And, and I think that's an, an important for, thing for us to consider. Being 35 miles away from Galilee, he is squarely in Gentile country. And there's clearly going to be a purpose why Jesus is there. This is a passage that was just read for us that is often, I think, confused by people. And I think just to begin by recognizing there's clearly a reason he's going out to the region of Tyre. And I don't believe that the reason is he's looking for a vacation. He really needs a break. And, you know, Tyre in the whatever time of year is beautiful. And so that can't be it. He's going there with purpose. He's going there with reason. And though it says in verse 24, he doesn't want anyone to know where he is in terms of that he's in the house. Notice in verse 24, he's not going through the countrysides of, of the Gentiles and preaching to them. He's staying contained. But one of the things that you see in Mark's gospel is that it doesn't matter where Jesus goes, what's happening? Crowd. 
crowds upon crowds upon crowds. He is constantly having crowds. And it's fascinating that even though he goes 35 miles away from Galilee, there's still crowds of people who are hearing about him, who are aware of him, and who are coming to him. Notice the scene that's given to us in verse 25. A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And I want us to see that not only falling down at his feet, Mark wants to emphasize this for us in verse 26. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of the daughter. So Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon area. He's not openly preaching, but crowds and people know that he's there. And a woman knows that that he is there. And she has a daughter with an unclean spirit, goes into the home and is now begging earnestly, repeatedly begging Jesus to cast this unclean spirit out. That's the setup of what's about to happen. The setup is really important to understanding what Jesus is about to say to this woman. Remember that Tyre is not something that's a foreign idea in the scriptures. When you think of Tyre and the Sidon area in Phoenicia, that's a very relevant area to the the ministry of Elijah. If you remember, Elijah does something pretty fascinating when he's in that Phoenician area where he's out there and he's doing his work and you have there this widow. And remember, the widow has a son. And Elijah just kind of walks up and says, make me some bread to eat. And she says, well, we had just a little bit of this oil and and flour left that I was about to make for my son and myself. We were going to eat it and die. That was it. There was no more left. And it was severe. And Elijah presents a test of faith, doesn't he? Make me bread and it's going to take care of itself. God is going to provide for you. God is going to give you what you need. And so she trusts what Elijah says, goes and makes the bread, and that's exactly what happens. If you were, grew up in the pews of the Sunday school class, you learned about the, the bread and the oil that never ran out for, for this widow and, and the child. It's an amazing miracle that's accomplished not in Israel, but accomplished entire in, in this Phoenician Sidonian area. It's with that in mind then and this emphasis that's given to us about her being an outsider. Listen to what Jesus says to her in verse 27. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I tell you, you pick up a lot of books and they just come out of their tree about this statement. (laughs) Just... This is mean. This is ruthless. This is horrible. He's calling her a dog. And I mean, how, and especially in that culture, because obviously our culture, dogs are cute, cuddly, and aww. And that's not really how that worked back then, because they're much more savage and things like that. And so there's a lot of intensity put upon Jesus when he says this here. But I want us to recognize. Jesus is saying something in a parable. 
It's very important to see. This is a, a parable that's being declared here. When he says here that let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, is a picture of Jesus' mission was to come to Israel first. His focus, his job, his mission is all about the rescue of Israel. And so they are then classified as the children. And yes, then Gentiles are classified as the outsider, the dogs. This is not a personal insult on her telling her you're a dog or something like that, but a parable of distinction. Israel is up to the plate first. They get first crack at this. They're not supposed to give the bread and the food that would first go to the children. You don't make your meal and say, all right, give it to my dogs first. That's not how it works. It's a parable. And I think it's important to recognize that because notice that Jesus does not just simply say no. And think about this for a minute. Jesus has come to this area for a purpose, and I don't believe he's there on vacation. And the woman is now begging and pleading with him. Cast out this unclean spirit from my daughter. Cast out this unclean spirit from my daughter. Please cast out this unclean spirit from my daughter. Begging at his feet. And Jesus doesn't go, no, get out of here. Jesus says, You know it's not right to take the children's food and to put it to the dogs. (laughs) What an interesting response when you put it in its proper scene. You notice it just kind of gives her a parable. I want you to think about something. Of course you're not going to give children's food and give it to the dogs first. That's why her response is absolutely stunning. Verse 28. She answered him, yes, Lord. She agrees. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That is awesome. (laughs) What she does is she absolutely understands everything that Jesus just said. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the rescuer. I'm the Savior. And I've come to Israel first. And she agrees. I understand that. That is what you've come to do, is to save Israel. But you notice that there is an awareness about her. The salvation of Israel was supposed to be the salvation and blessing of the world, wasn't it? We go all the way back to Genesis and to Abraham. It would be your offspring All the nations were going to be blessed. And all of the prophets, I gave you a handful of them right there, are all saying when Messiah comes, it's going to be blessings and salvation to the nations. And she has an awareness of that. That she is agreeing with everything that Jesus is saying. And then what she does is she pushes that illustration. She says, you want to tell me a parable? I will work with that parable. The little dogs under the table don't wait till the children are finished. They start eating as soon as the crumbs hit the floor. (laughs) We don't have to wait. You're right. You have come for Israel first. And we will take everything in the process while you're here. (laughs) 
And that's why Jesus says in verse 29, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. What a statement of faith this woman makes. She completely comprehends. And we even understand that in our day and time. If you have a pet, I'm sorry you do. You know I'm anti-pet. But if you have a pet and you have children, where do your pets always hang out during a meal? Under the children. Why? Because they're the messiest. That's where they're going to hang out. That's what she's illustrating back to Jesus. Is we get to enjoy the crumbs. We should be getting the blessings that come from your work in Israel. What a statement of faith. That she understands that the Gentiles would be participating in the blessings of God. And so there's nothing derogatory but a test of faith. He turns to her and says, do you understand my mission? I've come for the children first. And she goes, yeah, I understand the mission. And I understand we're supposed to be the beneficiaries of that mission right now. And he goes, well done for that statement of faith. Your daughter's been made well. Now notice the other great thing of faith. Not only is there faith in her by what she says, but notice that it says that in in verse 30, she went home. Now would have you brought Jesus with you just to make sure? (laughs) He just says, all right, go home. She's fine. She believes it. And she goes and goes and finds that her daughter's well. What you are seeing in this Gentile is an amazing amount of faith that we aren't seeing displayed in Israel where Jesus is working. An amazing amount of faith that is displayed in this woman, an outsider, a Gentile. And I want us just to Soak in that idea because that's what God had said over and over again that He was going to do for the world. Isaiah 56 and verse 3. Let no foreigner who was bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from His people. This is part of the Gospel of Isaiah that Isaiah has been proclaiming throughout that outsiders, Gentiles, the whole world is going to be able to enjoy the blessings of Jesus and enjoy the blessings of the kingdom. No one is left out. Now I want you to hold that idea in your mind. Because Mark is not done with wanting to illustrate this point. Keep that idea in your mind that, okay, everyone is able to come to the table. Everybody's able to enjoy the feasting that comes from Christ and the blessings that will come from Him. Hold that in your mind and now watch the next scene, verse 31. And he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee to the region of Decapolis. So that's back to the other side. He's still in Gentile territory. Now he's crossed the Sea of Galilee. Now he's on the east side over with more Gentiles again. Verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephapha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. 
And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more He charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is a beautiful picture that's given to us. As the scene now unfolds, as it connects to the prior scene, the prior scene showed us that here we have one belonging to the kingdom. And she keeps begging for this blessing to come. And she's rewarded for that as she begs Jesus. Rewarded for that faith because she understands her position. She understands she's undeserving. She understands that she shouldn't get any of what the blessings that the Messiah should give because she just wants, just give me a crumb. And now I want you to watch for a minute then what's happening in this scene and how that's connecting up with that very idea. In verse 32, what's happening? Here is this man who is deaf. He has a speech impediment. And what are all the people doing? They're begging Jesus to just lay a hand on him. You see this thread keep happening. Do you remember what Jairus was doing in regards to his daughter? Begging him, come to my house, come to my house, come to my house. Here is the woman here, this Gentile, begging, please heal my daughter, please heal my daughter. She has an unclean spirit, begging, begging, please heal my daughter. Here is a man with a speech impediment and his death. What are all the people doing? You've got to help him. You've got to help him. You've come to help. You've come to rescue. You've come to do this. You can do this. You can lay your hands on him. And notice the scene as it unfolds. People really get blown away by, by, by verse 33. I, I submit to you because we know that Jesus can just say the word, think the thought, do the touch. That it's not necessary for him to do all the things that you see him doing in verse 33. But remember, he can't hear. So I think he's painting the picture to this man of what he's doing and starts moving through the actions. This is an action miracle so that he can see it unfold because he can't see there. You know, here, come in. No, come with me. We're going to do this thing. So it's a beautiful picture as he, as he unfolds this miracle, puts his fingers in his ears and then touching his tongue, looking up to heaven and sign and saying, be open and look at the words of verse 35. His ears were opened his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. The word released is really important right here. Uh, most of the translations have released or loosed. It's a very unique picture because it is a word that is describing like a releasing out of chains. It is coming out of bondage, which is so much of what Mark and Isaiah have been pivoting on. That the whole work of Jesus is to be able to open the ears of people and to set them free. To set them free from their chains. To get rid of the bondage 
bondage that they are in. This is what Jesus' work is about, is a liberation movement. And you are seeing that in the miracles that He's doing. These miracles are not just random miracles, but they are done because they are pictures of a spiritual reality. You keep your hand here in Mark, and I want to look at Isaiah with you for a minute. Isaiah 32 first. Go over to Isaiah, and we'll look at chapter 32, and then we'll look at chapter 34. Isaiah 32, not on the screen. Push your digital buttons or turn your pages. Isaiah 32. And the reason why Isaiah is relevant is because remember how the Gospel of Mark opened was that this is the good news as proclaimed by the prophet Isaiah that we're looking at in Mark. Isaiah 32, verse 1, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness... And princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of dry of water in a dry place, like shade of a great rock in a weary land. Do you hear the imagery of restoration and blessing and hope, like streams of water in a dry place, a shelter in a storm, hiding place from the wind, shade in a weary land? Now listen to verse 3, when this king comes. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. No fool will be called a noble, no scoundrel will be said to be honorable. Here you have this, this picture of when Christ comes, there will be shade, there will be blessing, there will be streams of water, and when that happens, eyes will be open, ears will be open, tongues are going to be released. You have this spiritual work that He's going to do. Now go over to chapter 35 and see the same thing. In fact, this seems to be what Jesus is directly relating to, and it has very similar language. Isaiah 35. Verse 4. Verse 4 in the middle of that verse. Behold your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So listen to it. Behold your God is going to come. He's going to save you. He's coming. You're going to see Him come. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now, I want to stop on tongue of the mute for a minute. In the New Testament, when it said that the man had a speech impediment, it's an unusual Greek word. Only occurs there in all the New Testament. And in all of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it only occurs one place right here. Right here. In speaking about what he, the God, when God comes, what the King does, what He's going to accomplish, the rest of verse six: For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground become springs of waters. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. 
No unclean thing shall pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, it shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. There shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. And watch this. And what's going to flee away? What did Jesus just do? Sorrow and sighing. So interesting what is happening in this scene. In this miracle here, Jesus sighs and then releases this man from his ears being blocked up and the impediment that is on his mouth. And what he is doing is showing these very pictures in this miracle that what he has come to do is bring about this restoration from exile that Isaiah was prophesying, but it was not only to Israel. It was really to all the nations. It was to all the people in Jesus freedom liberation restoration blessings hope are all now going to be found and that's why you're seeing these two miracles happen side by side together what you are seeing is just an overwhelming response that people understand the good news has come with the king and the kingdom and we can be set free and by knowing that the eyes have been opened and the ears have been opened and the tongue can speak that means there is a way to God the way to Zion has now been built and we can come to God with joy in singing and in gladness friends this is why when verse 36 Jesus says don't tell anybody they go we're telling everybody this is too good of news to not be able to tell the more he said don't say it they go but this is amazing because who is he among the Gentiles what happened in that previous paragraph where Jesus is saying what really defiles you it's not about circumcision and foods and things like that The king and the kingdom are all about the heart. It is not then, you know, okay, make sure you're a part of physical Israel, but what comes out of the person's heart, that's what defiles the person. And what Jesus is doing in these miracles is showing really a representation of the spiritual condition of the world. You probably notice this not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, where you will see that the idea of having open ears means that you have spiritual understanding. You'll see that idea over and over again. Their ears are open. What does that mean? Well, they, they've turned their hearts toward God. They hear. They understand. Ephesians, the eyes of their hearts are enlightened. They are understanding. They're grasping. But what happens if you have closed ears? Remember what happens when Stephen is stoned. What does it say that they did? Closed ears of spiritual rebellion. That's what you're having this idea is here is Jesus going to the Gentiles and what's happening among the Gentiles is ears are opening. There is a change that is happening. 
They're having spiritual understanding. They are having spiritual perception. And notice what their perception is in verse 37. It says, they are astonished beyond all measure. And what are they saying? He has done all things well. I love Mark. That's a term that's reserved for God. When God gets done with all of His creating, what does He say? It's all good. Everything was done well, just right. Ecclesiastes reiterates that. It is God that does all things well. What you are seeing in Jesus then is a proclamation that spiritual understanding, spiritual insight, coming into the kingdom of God, being rescued, being set free from your sins was not an Israel thing. It is a worldwide thing. Jesus has come to open ears, to open hearts. And what happens when your ears are truly open to the understanding of the Scriptures, your tongue then proclaims the excellencies of God. That's what they all start doing. Jesus says, shh. And they all go, this is great. We can't stop talking about it. Because that's what happens when you truly have your ears opened. And your ears go from being shut in spiritual rebellion and now you truly understand and you truly come to an understanding of what God has done and who Jesus is. This is the response. Contrast it to what Israel does. When Jesus is doing miracles, what do they want? Hey, feed us again. In fact, we're going to see it here uh, when it comes to chapter 8. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Gentiles, he does all things well. He's opened ears. He's opened tongues. He's casting out demons. We're recognizing him to be the one, and we just want the crumbs. We know we don't belong at the table. We know we don't deserve anything, but if you just give us a few pieces while you're here, we'll be satisfied. That's what the Gentiles are saying. Jesus is praising that. What faith and what heart you are seeing in them in that moment. I want to take just a minute and consider something that I think is particularly interesting in what Mark is recording for us and how all this is coming together. You notice that all of the miracles are surrounding people that have diseases, illnesses, and disabilities over and over again. You know, Jesus doesn't ever do wow factor. You know, the skies open up and out falls a piano. And hey, look at that, you know. It's always related to the human condition, isn't it? It's always related to the human condition. And there's a reason why. You're seeing it happen right here. Because the idea of physical sickness, the idea of physical disease and disability and all of that is a reflection, a symbolism of the spiritual standing that all the world has before God. 
is that physical sickness is used in these parables and in these miracles and in the time that Jesus is there to show something. There's a showing here that ultimately within ourselves, we are in need of healing and Jesus is the cure. Never do you see Jesus say, now the reason why you're sick is because you have a spiritual problem. I love that in John 9. You know, why is this man blind? Did he sin or his parents? And the reason given is God's glory is going to be seen in this. There's a a, a spiritual message that is sitting here. This person cannot see. He's blind physically. But there's a bigger reality of what God is trying to show. His blindness is representative of all humanity. That we are blind spiritually and only Jesus can rescue. Only Jesus can give sight. Same thing in John 11 happens. Remember with Lazarus. He allows Lazarus to die. And why does he do it? He tells his disciples so that the glory of God can be displayed here at this thing. What is physical death showing? What is disability showing? What is disease showing? What is sickness showing? Over and over again, these things are trying to show us something. They represent our spiritual standing before God. Jesus did that when he spoke to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, 17. Do you remember that? Here they said, we're rich, we're healthy, we're fine. And he says, you don't even see that you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind and naked. They didn't mean their physical condition. They were supposed to see the spiritual condition. They were supposed to see a spiritual reality. It's one of the things that is fascinating about what is going on with this is that in looking at these kinds of things, and sometimes we ask those kinds of questions, well, why do you have all these things go on? Why are these things allowed? They're supposed to be a spiritual reminder to us. They're supposed to be a spiritual picture book to us. These things represent what it looks like to be before God in our spiritual condition without Him. That we can't see that we can't hear, we can't understand, we can't walk, we're enslaved, we're in dire circumstances. And that's why Jesus uses these miracles this way. Is that all of them are supposed to represent a picture. And when we are hit by those things or see others hit by those things, it's supposed to always be a reminder to us, you know that's our condition. You know that's who we are. That we are the ones who are pitiable and poor and blind and wretched and naked. We are the ones that are in need of healing. We are the ones that are in need of a cure. And the only way to be released, the only way to be set free, the only way to have eyes open spiritually, to have ears open spiritually, to have the condition dealt with that we are so struck by, is the persistent faith that you are seeing in these two accounts. Both of them show a relentless, persistent faith. Both of them are simply depending upon the mercy of God. The Syrophoenician woman does not come to Jesus and go, 
Well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I've done lots of good things. And I'm not as bad as the Jews. And look at how terrible they've been treating you. And Do you hear what she just says? I just want a little bit. I know who I am. I know I'm on the outside. I know that I'm poor and blind. I know I'm undeserving. I know I have no right to sit at the table. I know that I have no right to make demands of you. I have no claim to what you're offering. Just let me have the crumbs. Just give me a little bit of your blessings. And you know what Jesus does with that? Every time what he does with that, he says, so now why don't you sit at the banquet table with me? People who come to him and have this poverty of spirit, who understand who they are, and all they're doing is begging for Jesus, would you just bless us? Would you just give us something? Because we need rescue. We need help. We see our condition. We know our sin. We understand our problem. Would you heal? Would you rescue? Would you save? Jesus always responds to that. Every single time. That if we would just simply come to Him, understanding that Jesus does all things well, and our spiritual condition before God is not, well, look at us. Aren't we doing great? We're not that bad. But that we would have always this heart that you see in these these people. I know I can't hear. I know that I can't see. I know that I don't understand. And I need you to change me, Lord. Just give me a piece. Just give me a little bit. Just give me something. I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy of it. God, over and over again, blesses that faith over and over again that's the faith he blesses not the person that stands on righteousness or merit but the person that begs at the feet of Jesus and simply understands all that I want to see it's a message that I'm blown away with I'm blown away with the fact that what God does for us is He gives us beyond our wildest imaginations. I hope we understand what a shocking thing it is that as sinful as we are, as rebellious as we have been, as blinded as we have been by our sins, unable to comprehend in our spiritual hearing, lame legs and weak feet spiritually, poor, wretched, miserable, blind, naked, Laodicea. If we would just understand and accept that reality, 
That's when God responds. It's so funny, we can spend all of our time trying to fight why that's not us. That's what the Pharisees are doing. We're not that bad. We can see. We can hear. What do you mean? What do you mean? We're fine. Jesus never worked with that. Have a poverty of spirit. And to see that what Jesus has done is taken people who do not deserve to be at the banquet table of blessing and has said, here, have a seat right here. Or to use Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He pulls us right to the table and says, now enjoy this kingdom with me. If you'll see who you are and beg to be part of this kingdom. Will you beg for it this morning? Turn away from your sins. Confess Jesus to be the Son of God who came to this world and died for your sins. To have a heart that constantly remembers who we are before God. We deserve nothing. We shouldn't even get crumbs falling off of the table in the kingdom of God. And He puts us in a place of joy and gladness where we can be with Him. Won't you come to him now while we stand and walk?